Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jim. Well, we come today to our episode number 13 in our podcast titled Apocalypse is Coming. That's a forward-looking title because indeed the apocalypse and the end of the age is coming. So this episode, number 13, we want to take up the topic of the Great Tribulation. That uh, topic is something that we've skirted around uh, several times in these many episodes so far. And and by the way, John, can you believe we're already up to number 13? That's uh, really significant, I think. We, we might be just short of halfway there. <laughs> yes, if we only knew where that end point was. And it seems like uh, th- there's a never-end ending to uh, the various topics that concern uh, the end times. And I think uh, with the present coronavirus and the challenges that it poses, uh, many people are being uh, many people are asking the question: Are we in the, are we in the end time? Uh, had the great tribulation begun? So it's only fair to our listeners that we take up this topic and deal as best as we can in the thirty minutes or so that we have for this episode. And uh, basically, we want to talk about some uh, very uh, general and specific questions, or general and uh, uh, leading questions. And the most obvious ones are, what is the Great Tribulation? And that will cover a lot of territory. Uh, Who teaches about it in the Bible? When does it occur? Why does it occur? And, uh, And such questions. So we're going to start with that basic question of what is it? And I know that you've done some thinking about that, John, and we uh, will bring together our thoughts. The most uh, basic definition is, as we take up the term Great Tribulation, is that this is a time of unprecedented suffering. Uh, It is uh, something, of course, that people can look at uh, through the course of history and say, looking back, well, that was a significant period of suffering have the significant period of tribulation, even persecution for the church. Yet uh, we're going to discover this afternoon that the great tribulation uh, surpasses all those sufferings that have so far gone forward. I think that uh, the Old Testament gives specific uh, uh, indications about the meaning of the great tribulation. Uh, I think of the passage in Jeremiah Uh, Jeremiah the prophet talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's linked to the 70th week of Daniel 9. But it is Daniel who gives us uh, the best description of this. And in Daniel chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, we already discover ourselves uh, here in this prophetic portion that Daniel begins in chapter 11 talking about the time of uh, Antiochus IV, who becomes a type of the Antichrist and transfers uh, information then about the, the historical Antiochus IV to uh, end-time events regarding the Antichrist. And that takes place in, near the end of chapter 11. And when we come to chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Daniel uh, writes this way. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, suffering, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So there's the one verse in Daniel that talked about an unprecedented time. 
And I think we should then go probably to the New Testament. And where do we find that discussed? This discussed by uh, someone in the New Testament, John? Well, uh, Jesus virtually uh, quotes uh, Daniel 12.1 in uh, chapter uh, 24. Let me read these, the verse uh, uh, from chapter 24. It is verse 1 where Jesus makes this statement. Um, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And then continuing on this with verse 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. And so even the conclusion of uh, Daniel 12, 1 and uh, verse 22 of uh, Matthew 24 uh, from Jesus' lips are uh, very much alike. Yes, yeah, so as we think of Matthew 24, let's go back and uh, uh, rehearse for our listeners uh, that this transition from the present age onto the future age, the Great Tribulation period, uh, takes place just a few verses earlier when Jesus says in Verse 15, uh, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, that's the uh, work of the Antichrist, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And then at that point, Jesus starts narrating the kinds of things that are going to happen uh, as elements of the great tribulation. And we come to the verse that you refer to. It's an unprecedented time. And Jesus is very clear in his language, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again into the future. <clears throat> so, you know, accepting the clear and plainest meaning and normal sense of words, this is an unprecedented or unique time in world history. Uh, these thoughts are carried over in different ways. So it is Jesus who uses the terminology in this verse, great tribulation, uh, that same phrase occurs in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 14, uh, when it talks about the saints who are rescued out of the great tribulation. But then there are other passages that refer to the same period without calling it such, but it's clear that we're talking about a unique time of suffering. <clears throat> I think of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which describes the coming of Jesus Christ in judgment. And then in chapter 2 of that book, uh, Paul deals with the fact that the uh, Thessalonians had fallen into an error. It's an error that's not uncommon to our day, and that is an attempt to uh, date at the time of the Lord's return. And these were perhaps we could call them the first uh, date setters who were in error. And since that time, in modern times as well, there have been many who have set dates for the return of Christ. We are not doing that in this podcast today or any other elements, any other episodes of our podcast. But it's important to pay attention to what Paul says. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, the day of the Lord, which encompasses the great tribulation, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, and uh, Paul goes on and says, don't you remember I used to I told you about all of these things when I was with you and that the power of lawlessness is already at work 
but it is being restrained at the present time until the time of the end arrives. And then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And he signals the beginning of the uh, time of the Great Tribulation, his uh, appearance, his revealing. Uh, another place where this is dealt with is, again, in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, when the last of the uh, bowls of judgment are passed, are poured out, a bowl, uh, a huge uh, um, uh, container is tipped over, as you might say, and judgment comes. And this is the last of the judgments of the book of Revelation. And I might back up and say that uh, the three series of judgments that come forward in the book of Revelation, they all proceed from Jesus Christ, who is introduced in chapter 5 of the Revelation. Then begin the uh, series of judgments. Uh, first, the seal judgments, seven of them. Six of them are unfolded, and in the seventh uh, is found the seven trumpets. This is chapter 6, 7, 8. And then uh, in the seventh trumpet is found the seven bowls, and they're revealed in chapter 16. So when we come to that chapter, we find again unprecedented judgments that are poured out upon mankind, earth dwellers as they are called, uh, that have uh, no uh, precedence uh, before. I'm going to read just a couple verses from the end of chapter 16. And by the way, the end of that period is signaled to be uh, Armageddon, and that's mentioned in verse 16 of chapter 16. And then the seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air, and among other things it is proclaimed, it is done. That is, the time of judgments are coming to a climax. And the next verse says, there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it was ever has ever occurred since man was on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. He goes on to describe the destruction of uh, the great city and the cities of the Gentiles. Babylon the Great is remembered and gives up the and gave and she was given the cup of uh, wine, full of uh, the fury of God's wrath. And then the verses conclude this way: Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because of the, the plague was so terrible. Any, certainly these words uh, are starkly uh, bold in describing the course of events as we near the end of the tribulation period. So uh, several texts give us a significant description. So uh, the fact that a great tribulation is coming cannot be denied. It is clear in scripture. It is a period of seven years. Now the Bible uh, tells us this in several places. Uh, and it begins again back in the book of Daniel. Uh, chapter 9, Daniel is told that 70 weeks of years, and that would be a total of 490 years, are determined for God's people. And during those times, God will accomplish redemption of mankind and bring in universal peace at the end of them. That's all in chapter 9. And that chapter concludes with the idea that the 70th week of Daniel, namely a week of years or seven years, uh, comes at the final stage of earth history. The first 69 weeks of years have been spent up to the time of Jesus Christ. And then comes this great period of... Uh, of an interregnum or in interim in which uh, 
the Bible is silent about the events that occur, and we put here the present age that we're living in. So this has lasted now for almost 2,000 years. But at the end of this time comes the unfolding of the 70th week. And it is signaled by, again, the review or uh, revelation of the Antichrist, who initially brings peace, as it were, to the world. He's the world's savior. He's going to be heralded as such and going to bring uh, universal peace and an answer to the world's problems and all of that. Uh, we could pause here and uh, reflect upon the fact that uh, it might be a time similar to our day today, in which a time of great pandemic, great economic uh, distress faces all the nation, and somebody steps forward and has the uh, key to bring about uh, uh, healing, uh, the end of the pandemic, and uh, the resolution of all the economic distresses, and uh, prevents world war, and so forth. Well, uh, the Bible says that this person will be unveiled, and the first three and a half years are relatively uh, great peace, relative peace, and great peace for the world. But as it turns out, he is a man of evil. Second Thessalonians and Revelation tell us he is inspired by Satan, Revelation 13. And Satan is using this man as his great final attempt to destroy God's work in the earth, to defeat God's plans for the reign of Jesus Christ to come. And this man is going to be Satan's tool to bring about world peace under a false uh, Messiah. In the middle of that week, he is betrayed for who he really is. He will break the covenant he's made with Israel. He will set himself up to be worshipped and will forbid any other kind of worship of the true God or any other uh, religion in the world. Only the religion of himself, worshiping himself, will be allowed. All of what I just said is revealed, John, in Daniel chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9. And in the middle of that week, as I said, he will break the covenant with Israel. The middle of a week is three and a half years. Uh, this is said in Daniel 7.25. It's repeated in Daniel 12. Time, times, and half a time. In the book of Revelation, we're told this period is also equal to 42 months, 1260 days, and again, three and a half times. So all of this is meant to point toward the second half of the Great Tribulation, the time of especial evil. Would you like to say something at this point, John? No, let's continue. All right. Uh, so what we're talking about when we use the terminology, the Great Tribulation, is a seven-year period at the end of Earth's history. And the last half of that is especially the day of judgment and of wrath, as indicated by the book of uh, Revelation. Um, it, was a, it, it is and will be, as I said, a time of satanic deception. And the final world ruler will try to um, destroy God's purposes and plan uh, that he has for Earth's history. Jesus indicates to us how serious a time this is when, again, in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verses we, from which we've already quoted, he talks about this being comparable to the time of the days of Noah. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time when the Son of Man comes. Well, the days of Noah surely bring to a remembrance for all of our listeners the time of the great flood. 
the time way back in Genesis 6, when evil had trans had uh, gone forward so much to the degree that there was no redeeming quality left in mankind, and only one family uh, still worshipped the true God, the family of Noah and his sons and daughters. So God sent a flood and destroyed all humanity and saved only one family out of that by which he began again to repopulate and uh, uh, fill the earth. Jesus said that the time of the Great Tribulation will be like the time of his coming and the years just before the Great Tribulation. So Second Peter also tells us that during this time, uh, a great judgment will occur. And he makes the comparison again to the time of the flood. So the seriousness of this future time, the Great Tribulation, is put on a parallel to the time of the days just before the flood and the perishing of all earth's habitants except for one righteous family. We've talked about the several places in the Bible, John, where this occurs. And we probably should make further remarks upon uh, the extent of this. I know that you had jotted down some thoughts about that. Do you want to share those now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking right here of the extent uh, of the Great Tribulation, not just its seven years in length, but particularly the last three and a half years. But uh, the details of the events of the Great Tribulation, as are seen in the book of Revelation, uh, very plainly state that uh, this judgment of God is extended not just to mankind, but also to the physical earth and all that it contains. That is uh, the biotic kingdom, uh, whether, whether it's uh, plants or animals, but uh, even beyond that, uh, to the earth itself geologically. I think you've already read at one point where the islands will be no more and mountains cannot be found. They will all be leveled. And uh, beyond that, uh, even, you, you find in the Old Testament prophets and uh, in the New Testament references to the fact that the heavens uh, will undergo uh, complete uh, uh, renovation and whatnot. Now, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I imagined immediately that there would be some that would say, now, wait a minute, that's, is it just for God uh, to put judgment upon the uh, plant kingdom and the animal kingdom and the geological features of the earth? Uh, aren't they morally neutral? Well, <laughs> it's very interesting when I think about this, uh, first of all, I want to think about the earth, and it was cursed right from, uh, from the point of the fall. Uh, and then, second of all, I would, I would say this. The, the judgment of God falls upon uh, the earth in, in one sense um, because it is, uh, it is that to which mankind uh, not only depends apart from God. In other words, we find, we recognize that we find our sustenance that comes from the earth. But the problem with 
rebellious man is he doesn't see the God that is behind that. And I'm reminded of, uh, of the warning that was given to the Israelites that when they came into the land and all of its bounty, they were to take a special care not to think that uh, what they had was either uh, of their own making or without the provision of God behind it. And second of all, I think about how uh, in the last days especially, um, and actually this goes way back into the beginnings of recorded history, man has found ways to deify the creation rather than the creator. And so it's appropriate for God's judgment to fall upon it. Yes, you know, uh, you touched upon a very important theme, and that is the justification of God in doing this. It's a theodicy that uh, is a theological term for this. And in the book of Revelation, we have several times where the justification of God uh, is stated. Uh, I'm looking here at a passage in Revelation 13, uh, pardon me, 16. And again, the setting for this is the last part of the last uh year of the great tribulation and uh, as these bowls of judgment are poured out no doubt earth dwellers will cry out even as they do today john why should there be a judgment so comprehensive and so far reaching and these are the words of scripture an angel proclaims these words you are just in these judgments you who are and you who were the holy one because you have so judged for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And on a page or two later in chapter 18, uh, in regards to uh, the great uh, destruction of Babylon the Great, uh, it said that she had become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth too rich from her excessive luxuries. Now, Babylon the Great here is symbolic language talking about all the false worship, all the false religions, all those ways to avoid worshiping the one and true God. All those nations that had departed from the worship of the one and true God are brought under judgment. And this is the final conclusion of where, where that uh, false worship is going. So uh, Babylon the Great signifies all the false worship of the, of the nations uh, other than uh, those uh, uh, Jewish people and Christians who worship the true God. Uh, and accompanying their false worship are degrees of immorality. So the, the sins of, uh, of the actions of... Uh, the nations, that means all the people of the world, and uh, their false worship are brought together and finally judged as it was in the days of Noah. <clears throat> so the scripture is very clear that God is just and right in the judgments that he brings at the end of the age during the great tribulation. I think that we lack an understanding of the enormity of evil from the vantage point of God who has called all people to worship him, who has given a savior on the cross, worthy of acceptance by the entire world, 
who went to the cross as the uh, true and only divine son of God, uh, became, who having become a human being, uh, was persecuted and afflicted and finally uh, crucified and put to death on the cross. And he did so not for anything of him, uh, for himself. He was totally innocent, but he became sin for us so that we could become righteousness and bear his righteousness that uh, he accomplished for us on the cross. Mm -hmm. Those are words that come from the Apostle Paul in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Mm -hmm. So God has provided a savior worthy of acceptance by all people. And yet the vast majority of mankind have rejected God's work of redemption on the cross. And Jesus said that uh, he, he was going to the cross, but that he would also come again as savior and deliverer and uh, judge of uh, the nation. And so the redemption aspect of God's uh, work, uh, the purpose of that, the accomplishing of that, uh, the aim of that was done at the cross, and that is still viable today. Uh, people can come to know the true God by placing faith in Christ as their Savior. And uh, to, when they do so, they become part of God's family. They become sons of God. They are regenerated. They are, are born again. They belong to a new family, and their truest citizenship is in heaven. But as the gospel goes forward, the gospel, the proclaiming uh, the redemption of Christ, also proclaims that there's a coming king. And that is Jesus Christ, who will fulfill the promises and the prophecies of the book of Daniel. And when he comes, he comes in judgment to bring about uh, the end of uh, history, the end of uh, world rebellion, and um, so forth. I'm reminded, John, of uh, Psalm 2, which is a tremendous psalm and keeps coming back to my mind during these days as we deal with apocalypse and such related matters. Oh, yes. it, begins with the, it begins with the rebellion of the nations and talked about uh, them imagining a vain thing and rebelling against God's plan and order for them. And they want to throw off God's uh, restraints. And that's really what the Antichrist will be doing in the final years of this period. And then uh, they say that God in the heavens has already proclaimed a ruler to come over the world, and that is his son. And he will come and bring judgment. And the psalm concludes with a warning to the nation that they ought to do homage to the son, lest uh, the son be angry and they perish in their way. And so this whole psalm sort of uh, rehearses the course of this age and the attitude of the nation and the final disposition of what will happen to all of those who reject the gospel and reject Jesus Christ. Well, uh, let's reiterate again how long this period will be. It's seven years, uh, beginning with the unveiling of the Antichrist, who, who as a false messiah will deceive the nations and Israel. Uh, and through the first three and a half years of that, uh, will seemingly be the world's savior. They'll give homage to him rather than to Jesus Christ. But then he turns out to be uh, and reveals himself to be the true evil person he is. He will have an evil companion. Uh, Revelation 13 calls him the false prophet. And that prophet will do miracles on behalf of the uh, Antichrist to again further justify worship of him. Uh, and he will force all 
all the nations, all the peoples of the world to give homage to the Antichrist and, uh, and on penalty of death, they will need to receive his number, his identifi identifying number, 666. And uh, all will do that except those who uh, worship the true God through Jesus Christ. They, the latter, will suffer martyrdom and be put to death. So at the end of this time, <clears throat> when things seem to be finally culminating on behalf of uh, Satan to accomplish world dominion and conquest in his uh, uh, vice region, if we can call him that, uh, the Antichrist, Jesus Christ returns at, uh, to uh, uh, the place in Israel called Armageddon, and the battle of Armageddon uh, takes place. There's no dispute or worry about the outcome. Jesus Christ will be victorious. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be seized and put to uh, and put into the lake of fire. They don't even die, but they go there straight. And Satan will be bound. And then Jesus takes his rule on earth for a thousand years. This period is begun, we might say also, John, by the rapture of the church. And that's a topic that we'll take up next time, talking about the various aspects and understandings of the rapture of the church. There is a period, an event that is coming, and uh, we call it the rapture, and we'll talk about that from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. So as we wrap up this time together, we have this great period of um, terrible suffering coming. And to the question, is the present coronavirus a sign that we're in the great tribulation? We would have to say, no, probably not. Because the Antichrist, a world leader, has not stepped forward to provide the um, answer for it and to satisfy people's needs, economically and otherwise. But we could well say, I think, that the present worldwide pandemic indicates to us how easily it will be for the whole world to be brought to its knees, to be brought to a place where it seemingly has no uh, future, and then somebody step forward to provide the answer. It does not take much of an imagination to see how easily that could transfer and take place today. So we await to see the outcome of the present pandemic and the other sufferings that are going on and to realize that at least it has the portent of pointing to the end times and the time of the great tribulation. In light of that, people should repent. We all need to repent and seek God that he might deliver us that he might uh, give us personal salvation, and secondly, turn the nation's hearts back to him to bring repentance rather than being deceived by what is coming on the forward-looking scene. Any final thoughts, John? Well, you know, just to pick up on that, I was just uh, writing some notes here and regarding the importance of the revelation of the Great Tribulation in the Scriptures. And you've just pointed out the first the first of these, it represents a warning to mankind to, to repent. But secondly, it represents a justification for the judgment of God. And finally, it represents a custom, uh, 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 it represents a comfort for the saints in light. Um, by the great tribulation, the saints, as is spoken of by Paul uh, to the Thessalonians, the saints will be vindicated, and uh, that is a great uh, treasure uh, to be held dearly by the saints, that in the end, uh, our faith 
and our endurance will be rewarded uh, in terms of uh, repayment for that which it has cost us. Uh, and uh, God is uh, both just and the justifier in that sense of them that believe in Jesus. Yes, and let's uh, conclude with the thought about what James uh, tells us about suffering and trial. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and uh, suffering, for all of these are meant by God to teach us endurance and perseverance and to perfect our faith, to remove the dross. And you know, that's the final word that perhaps we ought to conclude with. Our faith, especially that of Americans, can be very much uh, misplaced and uh, uh, be uh, contaminated by other supports rather than simply trust in God. In America, it's very easy to be uh, swept up in uh, the materialism and the uh, uh, success of various things in our culture and in our society and find that our true faith needs to rest only upon God himself. Uh, so this coronavirus should also teach us that uh, these support that we find so easy to latch hold of and to fall back on are very, very uh, transitory and insecure. In the end, our faith is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross and of him coming again, his coming again to be our, our deliverer and redeemer uh, from this present age. Right. Uh, thanks for joining me today, John, and blessings upon you. And to you too, Jim. We'll see you next time. Uh, bye now. Bye.